So how do how do we start? <laughs> I mean, that's up to you. This is this is your idea. I mean, what we could do is we could just like, I mean, what was it? Your your pitch was that it's just kind of the conversations that we usually have anyway, right? Yeah. Um, I bought an insane amount of stuff today because we went to the mall this morning. Ooh, and what I did you buy? A- um, a shirt, a dress, some pants, three shorts, technically two pairs of shoes because the third pair was ordered online via the store. Uh-huh. I think that's all. Oh, and a, a new bag there. That is, that is all. <laughs> like for the summer or for, um like like next year like a slightly larger bag than the ones i have you're like a tote bag person right i'm like my tiny little bag person oh yeah you are (laughs) but this one's a slightly larger yet relatively small bag that just fits more things how do you how do you okay Cause I am a tote bag person. And like, even my purse that I have is like big. Cause I like need to bring a water bottle around. How do you, like you, how do you like feel like you have all the things that you need for a day with such a tiny bag? I mean, like usually I just use my tote bag because there's like school stuff in there. Cause yeah. like, that's what my tote bag is mostly for. Like when I know I need to carry around more stuff than my phone and ID and wallet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, should should we should we start talking yeah. Okay. Stuff? Well, who are who are we? Okay, so I'm Fabiola. I'm the one who had the idea. <laughs> <laughs> um well we're both uh recently well, who are you well yes <laughs> i need to say my name okay okay um well okay we should probably say hello and welcome to it's giving camp i am saffron heftigal um we are both recent smith college graduates both ba in film and media studies we're both aspiring writers and directors yeah i am a a, an aspiring writer director but i will be going to grad school this fall emerson at boston yeah yeah that's that's what i will be up to (laughs) Um, studying film (laughs) but we both already have like a lot of ideas about the stuff that we watch and like talking about them together and you had this idea to talk specifically about camp yeah and television um yeah and so we thought it would be a, a good idea for our first episode to just be a kind of a descriptor slash outline for like our definition of camp before we get into the movies and tv shows yeah we want to be able to like 
like any good academic define our terms that we're using. Yeah, and I did a special study um, last fall on camp in film, specifically films from the 60s through the 90s. And I have some stuff to read that I outlined from my special study. And so I, I have a, both a preface, I have both a preface and a general definition of camp that I found from, in, I would say it's an academic source. But um, in the preface, I write, although Susan Sontag's notes on camp is an incredibly important text, camp is best defined by a group of people because it is very much crafted by the marginalized LGBT community themselves. So I feel like a big reason why like this is a conversation and we also plan on having guests is because camp itself is a conversation. Like it's ever evolving and like it wouldn't it just wouldn't be the same if I were just like here rambling by myself (laughs) yeah and I mean I have my perspective as a queer pansexual woman but um it's also a like like my white upper middle class perspective you know so I'm excited to to talk to many people and yeah and so I, I also write a bit about like my outlining process for the special study in which I write that I wanted to highlight films that I felt were exemplary to the notions of camp that Sontag had brought forth in her essay and are commonly regarded as camp, such as 1966's Batman and 1992's Death Becomes Her. I also wanted to highlight films that seemed to have gone under the radar regarding their status as camp as well, such as 1974's Phantom of the Paradise and 1988's Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And some of these movies we we will discuss on future episodes. Yeah. And so the reason why I picked the, the 60s through 90s is because this period not only is a neat framework capping off of 20th century, but it was a period where where Hollywood's studio system and the production code were dying and color technology was becoming more accessible, which meant that filmmakers could now show and tell stories that they likely would have needed to shove to the side as subtext or being up to the viewer's imagination just a few decades prior. Subtext and the viewer's imagination are wonderful, but not when that's the only filmmaking option. I'm nodding my head. Now here's my question for you. So, so if if in your study you focused on the 60s to 90s and talked about how that was an era where, you know, the kind of studio system was dying, what is your thoughts now on on camp in film and television from contemporary media of the last five, 10 years when we kind of have this re-emergence of like the corporate uh, monopolies in production in Hollywood and, and Silicon Valley with the streaming services. Yeah, camp is definitely harder to find now and detect because of like both the abundance of films that are like trying to 
appeal to every single person therefore are likely to like not be like all that remarkable like visually or performance wise but also because of these monopolies it's harder to like find the more like camp films and tv shows out there but like from from the tv shows that we've mentioned that we could possibly talk about i there seem to be fandom in common with all of them mm-hmm. and which is my particular that's my specialty <laughs> and i feel like fandom kind of lends itself to camp because it it creates a bunch of like inside jokes and mm. like different things that are like only a select group of people or have like picked up on on different shows and stuff there's a fair number of shows that we're interested in talking about contemporary or like recent shows from the cw network which feel very much well i don't know (laughs) how much is deliberate camp it feels very naive camp where they feel like they're trying to pretty sure riverdale is doing things on purpose yeah there's no way they're they're just doing that because oh this is compelling (laughs) i'm very i'm thinking about the supernatural and the new winchester because the new winchester prequel series that they're working on it it, they they seem to think that it's going to be a really like serious good show but it looks terrible but maybe it's just (laughs) terrible maybe it's not even camp because it doesn't even look fun (laughs) yeah not all camp is done on purpose as we're going to find out was there a new a next quote that you wanted to read yes so now we're going into the definition of camp that i used for my special study and it's the definition used in the article what is camp five scholars discuss sontag the met gala and camp's queer origins from aestheticsforbirds.com so the first scholar, Merpur Quinones, addresses that the betrayal of camp is defensible if it is an effort to educate others. Because a lot of the original critique of Sontag's essay, Notes on Camp, was that because she was writing about it, it, it was like, the secret's out, so camp is over. But as we've seen, it very much isn't over for this episode i actually uh reread um the actual notes on camp from sontag and she does acknowledge that idea yeah like she kind of talks about like i know like writing about it you know could destroy it but actually she's like i don't think that's the case (laughs) and she was right (laughs) camp is still very much alive over yeah god wait over almost 60 years yes later yeah <laughs> insane and so this other scholar Quinn Miller emphasizes that camp is more about love than it is about mechanisms of appraisal camp is not a tool for superiority as Sontag notes it relishes rather than judges 
And I feel like that's really important because a lot of like naive camp can be perceived as like simply like a bad movie that people are just making fun of. But a lot of naive camp is like naive camp movies when people watch them, they're absolutely not making fun of them. Like, <laughs> do you remember when we watched The Room? Yeah. That was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, the, the Room is an interesting situation because like you absolutely can make fun of it, but it's also enjoyable to watch. So it's kind of towing the line between camp and genuinely bad and laughable yeah and this other scholar carl Schott miller writes that historically lgbtq people use camp's irony theatricality parody humor and aestheticism to help relieve the social stigmas associated with our identities to Schott miller camp is about giving a middle finger to mainstream communities to depoliticizing and to co-option of subcultural practices without solidarity Ooh, wait that reminds me a quick brief tangent but also it's completely related you were talking uh you were retweeting stuff on twitter this morning about um the conversation around like the the reemergence of like bimbo bimboification um, yeah that's camp it absolutely is camp and I think especially it's so... in how it's being utilized in recent years. Yeah, like um, how do you say her last name? Uh, Chrissy, the one. I, I don't. I don't remember. Oh, God. let me look her up. I love her. Um, C H L A P E C K A, Chrissy Chalpeka. Chalpeka. I've only ever seen it written. Anyway, I love her. I'm obsessed with her. Um, I want to be her. <laughs> but it is 100% like, it's, you're, it's not reinforcing the patriarchy. It is, it is um, an exaggeration that is such a performance that it doesn't, you can't look at her and say that she is conforming to that uh, the standard set forward by the patriarchy. It is it is a rebellion. It is an, in her politics and in the things that she talks about, even if it is like, oh, I'm, you know, I just want to be dumb and hot. It's still, there is a rejection of, like, conformity. Yeah, and like, a lot of, like, the internet famous TikTok famous bimbos are like you have to be a leftist to be a bimbo <laughs> or mm -hmm. else you're just like putting on an outfit <laughs> yeah because it's not just an outfit yeah camp isn't just the clothes you wear it's the way you hold yourself and how you act yeah and for the these famous bimbos it's like an entire lifestyle and it's a performance too. I mean, especially yeah. on online, you know, like we are only seeing what they but want they choose us to, to record. See. Exactly. Who is a bimbo? 
What is a bimbo? These are multiple questions that I have been getting from millennials. Who is the Gen Z bimbo? A bimbo isn't dumb. I mean, she kind of is, but she isn't that dumb. She's actually a radical leftist who's pro-sex work, pro-Black Lives Matter, pro-LGBTQ, pro-choice, and will always be there for her girls' gays and nays. So this other scholar, Nick Strang, writes that camp insists on dramatizes even its own unreality, its difference from the real thing, which also relates to the bimbo thing, but also to a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> like it also, this quote also reminds me of the part in a Sontag's essay where she says that camp is in quotations. It's not a, a woman, but a woman. It's not a lamp, but a lamp. See, I don't know my art history very well, <laughs> but what what movement was the, the, the this is not a pipe thing from? Um, I'm pretty sure that this postmodernism possibly. Yeah, but it's not just that. It's like, this is a pipe in quotes, which is different than, yeah, because it, you know, it, you know that it's fake, but it, you know that it's a performance, but part of the performance is pretending it's not a performance almost. Yeah, like the- Am I just saying piece. words? Am I no, making sense? No, <laughs> like that, that piece is very much like showing a pipe while telling you this is not a pipe. Well, I think that's also supposed to be like, once you replicate it, it is no longer the thing, correct? Yeah, and like, it's also technically not a pipe because it's just an illustration. Yeah. The pipe. Okay, and so the final definition that I have is from Matt Stroll, who reflects on the current camp of politics, specifically the camp of Donald Trump. He notes that the reason recognizing Trump as a camp figure is so uncomfortable is that doing so is a positive, appreciative stance, since camp is about enjoyment. Stroll argues that we can abhor Trump morally while enjoying him aesthetically, and that allowing ourselves such amusement can be a valuable coping mechanism and a decent strategy against him. And so this just reminds me of that video of him learning about Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death while Elton John Tiny Dancer very, very clearly blasts in the background. <laughs> it's so, it's so... One of the best videos of all time. I think it's the juxtaposition. It's the contrast. Because that's another thing that that was mentioned when I was rereading Notes on Camp is like part of camp is like the irony and it's like the exaggeration of things that kind of come from like these two two feel like two things that you have to hold at the same time the other like and like you also kind of like don't really like believe what he's saying because he's just saying like oh i'm so sorry to hear that like it just like it's just it's such a weird reaction <laughs> It's so, it feels so insincere, but he, so much of Donald Trump felt, everything he said felt insincere. The McDonald's dinner was also camp. 
well that's also like the abundance and the exact you know the yeah like well and i the the donald trump clip that i was thinking of that also feels camp is that when he uh post coat you know uh, him recovering from covid hopped up on all the drugs <laughs> at rallies and he's like i could just go down there i can't do a donald trump impression i'm not going to try to do a donald trump impression but he's like you know i'm i can just go down and, and kiss anyone a kiss man and woman which is so it's so hilarious i think i mean it almost like you know in the to to talk about camp is to destroy it it feels similar to like to just to explain why a joke is funny is to make it yeah like i feel like it did a very poor description of the um tiny dancer video because you just have to watch it to understand you just have to to like and to to make to explain why the joke is funny Donald you have Trump. to experience it and that's like a lot of what camp is well yeah i was also just gonna say i think that clip is so funny because he's talking about kissing men and women when you know he just has like horrible like policies for lgbt plus people but in yeah. that irony it's funny it's ridiculous <laughs> and he's so he's so it's he's so unaware it's the naive yeah. of it all. Yeah. He doesn't know that he looks like a, a cartoon character. Um, I wrote a bunch of notes on the uh, Met video. Yeah, I put it on while I was cleaning my room. So the vibes of it washed over me. (laughs) The one thing that I did that did stand out that I wrote about that I was like, yeah, I love that is their their section where what gender with with genitals which is is a bit like kind of a like extreme title but i think that's part of the point right is to catch your attention what i loved the the jacket with inflatable muscles yeah i remember that one um and then all of the all of the outfits where it was like you know things that are not things things or whatever i can't remember what their their catchy title was but like the 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 dresses that look like items it reminded me i mean that's like feels like old school lady gaga right yeah like the meat dress yeah i feel like people used to hate it people very much hated it (laughs) maybe this is just me thinking about jennifer's body but like one of the things with camp i feel like sometimes is that it's like it's not successful right it's it doesn't do well it's it people a lot of people reject it actually yeah like like showgirls was mostly rejected when it came out but now it's like one of the films in the camp canon yeah cult fandoms and camp go hand in hand especially when one of the ways to talk about camp is is the figures 
you know, the, the inspirations, the icons who are kind of at the head of it and spearheading things. Yeah, like a lot of like the classic camp icons, such as like Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, they, they're like icons because they had like massive fandoms of like mostly gay people. Yeah, I was also thinking like Oscar Wilde to go way yeah. back. <laughs> and, and quite possibly the biggest one, Judy Garland, yes. because of the whole Friends of Dorothy thing. Mm-hmm. But is Wizard of Oz the film camp? Yes. Why? Because of like all the bright colors and it's it has a bunch of like glamorous female characters, but it also centers on a group of like outsiders. And there's also the very queer coded cowardly lion. But all of that is kind of subtext, isn't it? I mean, like as I as I wrote in my um, special study, um, a lot of camp does have sub subtext, and a lot of it, like especially in like Hays Code era camp, it is essentially just subtext. Mm-hmm. It's only after the Hays Code that like it didn't have to rely entirely on subtext. And I will say now, because I'm noticing it, we're definitely going to be focusing on American pieces because yeah. that is the context that we have. But camp is an international phenomenon, right? Yeah, like... I mean, it's a sensibility. It's it's not like you, a style. Yeah. Sensibilities don't know national borders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do we want to talk about... Uh, the difference between like naive and deliberate camp more yeah so basically naive camp is the camp that's not being done on purpose the performance that I think about whenever I think of naive camp is Elizabeth Berkeley in Showgirls because you you can kind of tell that she wants to give like a big like performance that the critics will love and that like she clearly wants to be respected as a like established actress after being like a sitcom actress yeah but like that's not what the performance ends up being like it's just a very exaggerated and flaky performance she literally flails around a bunch (laughs) yeah yeah it's 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 a constant characteristic of that performance and so with deliberate camp it's it's the camp that like is done on purpose and like it at least knows what it's doing regardless of whether or not it's actively labeling or perceiving itself as as camp it it knows that it's making a choice Mm. and with that I think of the other showgirls lead Gina Gershon who just seems really aware of the kind of movie she's in 
and like you you can you can just tell and her performance yeah. is also exaggerated but it feels like it's exaggerated with a knowing wink you can tell that she's not trying to be an amazing actress but that she's trying to have fun yeah i don't know what all this stuff is i'll order for you don't they have brown rice and vegetables do you like brown rice and vegetables yeah you do sort of really worse than dog food. <laughs> it is. I've had dog food. You have? Mm-hmm. Long time ago. Doggy chow. Oh, I used to love doggy chow. <laughs> I used to love doggy chow, too. I think that's such a key to to camp performance it's it's both fun in the doing of it and in the watching of it yeah which is why i when i was rereading sontag's notes on camp i found like she said pure the only thing that's pure camp is naive camp i feel like i personally would use pure and naive interchangeably because pure is kind of like connoted with being organic like it just happens meanwhile deliberate doesn't just happen it's like conscious but like what I kind of disagree with with Sontag is like her opinion that um naive camp is more fun yeah I disagree I feel like it just I feel like it just depends on what it is that you're watching growing up my um family loved halloween and costumes and my mom specifically and then like that turned into like a love of cosplay and my experience in cosplay i have so much fun being exaggerated personas characters playing with gender and gender expression that Maybe she was just speaking from a perspective as a critic when watching or reading things. But for me, that performance that I take on is fun. And I feel like that doesn't make it any less, because I'm aware of it, doesn't make it any less camp. Yeah. The other good thing, at least, is that Sontag said that people could disagree with her and the definitions are going to (laughs) change. And a lot of people do disagree on her, of her opinion that um, naive camp is more enjoyable. Because I enjoy both of the performances in Showgirls, even though they're two different kinds of camp. They're still fun to watch. Wasn't another thing that you talked about, one of the definitions that Sontag brought up that you talked about in your special studies, um, instant character? Yes. So we will see a lot of instant character in the following episodes. But yeah, it's a lot of like, like with Donald Trump's appearance, like 
when you see him, you immediately know what he's all about. It's all about how the surface conveys an essence and how the surface or like a lot of play can be had. Mm, play. I love that word. Uh, what other thoughts did you have on the from the um, net video? Okay, so um, I really liked that the video and like the exhibit as a whole is like divided in different parts. And I noted that like in, in the different parts, they go by the different um, grammar usages of camp. Like they mentioned camp was first used as a verb in a novel by Mollier, which in which it's referred as camping on one leg like a comedy king. And then camp became an adjective by the mid 19th century when it was associated with the queer community. So it kind of just became a descriptor for LGBT people in the mid 19th century. Do you think even when it was a verb that camp is intrinsically queer? I mean, I, I did get like queer vibes from the sentence camping on one leg like a comedy king. Because it's not just like queer in terms of your sexuality, you know, it's not it's not queer in the sense of like like homosexual or transgender in like it's queer in like queer theory and queerness and queer idea of being in opposition to being to challenging right yeah we're gonna use queer in a re uh in a reclaimed sense a lot in this show i think because that's a word that i i really like um i first like I first read notes on camp in a queer history class where we discussed the queer 90s, we discussed new queer cinema, we discussed the reclaiming of the word queer in terms in the relation in the context of like the AIDS crisis. So um, I have like a lot of uh, love for <laughs> that word, this is just my little, you know, disclaimer in case people are upset with me. I don't know, but um, I feel like people might be more upset with me because I'm technically not in the community. So, <laughs> yeah, but you, I mean, you're also still using it in this kind of like yeah. academic sense in in terms of queer theory. Yeah, like you I never mean it in a slur way. <laughs> You would, you would only call someone queer if they, in terms of like an identity, if that's how they already identified themselves. Yeah. Which yeah. is also what I would do. Um. So anyways, um, the, the notes on fashion video notes that Oscar Wilde is like a big reason why camp can also be used as a noun because he became a potent vehicle for camp as a person and him being an aesthete. Yeah, he was very much kind of in the vein of like camp as a sort of lifestyle and way of existing. And I feel like camp is all 
verb, adjective, and noun at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's a feeling is the thing. Like, yes, there are things that aren't camp and we can talk about what is camp. We can, we're laying out this definition, but sometimes I just know what's camp and what isn't because I look at it and I feel it in my gut. And then I ask you if that's true or not. <laughs> can we, sorry, I know this is old news, but can we talk about the Critical Role Campaign 3 opener? Yes, yes. You, you can explain it better than me. Can I actually, I'm going to pull up the tweet if it still exists. Oh my god, did he delete it? I think you could like maybe paraphrase what he was trying to convey. Okay, well, essentially... <sighs> essentially, Critical Role, the biggest D&D actual play show that exists. Side note, actual play shows are um, when storytellers use the mechanics of a game to tell their story. Most cases, it is um, a tabletop pen and paper role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons. So Critical Role, if you haven't heard of it, that's not too surprising, but also you probably have because they had an Amazon animated show. Huge bunch of voice actors. They started their third season, um, third campaign. So brand new story set in the same world. And they had a new um, intro video where it introduced all the cast. And it was um, a mess. It was a mess, visually, aesthetically, all over the place. Um, it just kind of looked boring. It just kind oh. of looked boring to me. Well, like, it was how everything looked visually, which is the first sign that it's not camp, if you perceive it as boring. It was flat. It was also, they had like three different themes going on. Um, and what, like, there was them sitting in, in reacting in slow-mo, and then there was a bunch of, like, bright, colorful, like, explosions, and then- Like, CG explosions. Yeah, CG explosions, and then they also had a portion where, like, clearly in a soundstage, they were, like, dressed up in little explorer's outfits, and, like, walking through, like, a jungle- in the style of like old exploring films, like, you know, The Mummy and Indiana Jones. But not enough. <laughs> well, it, some of the outfits were very much invoking um, colonizers, <laughs> let's just say. It, it, it was- Without them like being aware of what it invokes. Yes. And people on Twitter were very much um, uh, calling that out because it, um, maybe maybe just on its own, it would have been fine. But the setting that they were doing um, for the campaign was um, Swana inspired and with no people of color in like the writing production, it seemed behind the scenes. It was a bunch of a bunch of white people which people had already been criticizing, and then they do this opener. And it just felt very tone deaf. So whatever, that's a thing. There's no reason that Fabiola would have known about this unless I just, you know, I was 
complaining about it. But then <laughs> Matthew Mercer tweets out, I don't understand like why everyone's criticizing this opening. You know, we're just having fun. Like it's campy. Like does does no one understand that? Something along those lines. He he said camp or campy. Yeah, I do remember that distinctly. And and I was like, hey Fabiola, friend who has studied camp, is this opening camp? Yeah, like it was really like telling to me that he like know what was exactly that was being criticized. Like people weren't criticizing how like the effects looked or how the like promo looked. They were they were just criticizing the context of the whole thing. Yeah. Till we reach the top, two by two we fall. Now here's my question. Is saying that it's camp when it's not camp, is that camp? If it becomes a meme. And here's here's where the Carly Kloss of it all comes in. So there's this infamous Twitter post from moments before the camp met gala where Carly tweets out looking camp right in the eye with a photo of her looking in her like little hand mirror. Anyone who's been on the internet has seen this image. Yes (laughs) but I'm I'm just I'm just kind of explaining what's going on in case you you somehow haven't but um while a few moments after when she like exits the hotel that everyone going to the Met stays at, it's finally revealed what her outfit is, and it's just like a boring short gold dress, and she wear she's wearing like natural makeup, like just quite possibly the most unremarkable thing one could wear to this Met Gala. And so because of that, it became an entire meme with like the whole image being reposted over and over again over over the past few years. It's now arguably the most camp outfit of that evening. So here's here's what's interesting. I was talking to my friend Willa um, about this podcast and um, I brought up that photo and she thinks it was intentional she thinks like the whole setup of the image and then the unremarkable outfit was like deliberate a deliberate like performance i feel like that depends on like how aware of the entire situation you think carly Kloss. Like, she usually just wears basic things everywhere. Like, it's not like she is purposely underwhelming mm. most of the time. I will say the only evidence that she had for this was that, uh, well, Taylor Swift's music videos are deliberate camp and Carly is friends with Taylor Swift. So I think she knows what I, she was doing. 
I feel like the the Taylor Swift videos are deliberate camp depends on the music video because mm. like when I think of Taylor Swift camp music video I think of like what you made me do yeah is um me with what the one with all the butterflies oh the me I'm not sure because I feel like the song is naive camp because it's one of her weakest songs mm-hmm. but the music video itself I don't know because I feel like even though there's lots of colors everywhere they're all muted and the whole thing is kind of in a in a style that isn't like particularly remarkable even though it has like a bunch of effects and colors and everything it just it just kind of lulls you (laughs) yeah like there can be fun campy cgi but that doesn't it just feels like flat yeah the colors baby doll when it comes to a lover i promise that you'll never find another like me Speaking of like CGI and and Taylor Swift music videos, this did remind me of one thing that I've been thinking about, which is one of the things I like used to say all the time when I was trying to get people to watch Buffy, which is one of the shows we're going to discuss because um, one of the things I used to say was, oh, it's it's like it's it's campy, but you should keep watching it, Um, which is interesting because that kind of like connotated that campy is bad but also like I would say that Buffy is campy but I think when in that context when I was saying campy what I meant was the special effects are low budget Hmm. I feel like it's all about the effort being put in because like even with a low budget like you can tell when like people put effort into making it Meanwhile, like, there's a bunch of, like, special effects movies that, like, you can tell that they just, like, slapped it together, even though they had a bunch of resources. I think what I meant was that, like, visually, it doesn't look, it might not look very good, but it is fun. And the thing with Buff, about Buffy that we can talk, we'll talk about more is, but it's, it's got instant character. It's got irony. And... It's got a lot of heart. I think your mention of it having heart is really interesting because I feel like a camp piece of media doesn't have to have heart. It just needs people to love it. Ooh. Because a lot of a lot of my favorite camp movies, by a lot I mean like the ones that I've, I've watched because I haven't seen all that many camp movies. The ones that I've found myself loving the most are like the more like um, textually hostile ones. 
coming back around to like my point that like when I used I would say camp or campy when I don't think I was actually understood the word or, or that wasn't like now I wouldn't use camp to describe that aspect that I was trying to describe. Do you think that that that's true for a lot of people? Do you think a lot of people use camp without realizing what it means? Yeah, I mean, like, camp is famously, like, nebulous, and, like, it just, it's a very, it's a very, like, witty and gaseous term in the sense that, like, it's really hard to pin down for even, like, people who have studied film theory and art theory and whatnot, like, let alone to, like, people who haven't studied film and media studies. So yeah, it's very common to refer to like, refer to camp as quote unquote incorrectly or in like kind of weird ways. I feel like that's one of the reasons why like I wanted to make this podcast is to like, not just like clear up terminology because I have a whole thing about like, you are using insert term here wrong, but also to like, be able to like, communicate these things more and better with other people. I have a feeling that over the course of this show, we will, we will become like more confident in our personal definitions and being able to spot it and use it. And hopefully that can be true to people who listen along. Yeah, um, I, I just wanted to like point out some things that I took note of from the Camp Notes on Fashion Gallery Views video. Um, I found the definition of Isherwoodian camp, like driving from like Christopher Isherwood, the, the writer, it refers to how camp is located in, in the queer world and high camp is Baroque art and ballet and that sort of type of performance. And it was just really interesting to see those terms like defined that way. Would you have defined them that way? No, because I I feel like I with low camp, I would have maybe like in terms of like my modern understanding and like not from like the Isherwoodian era understanding of it, like I would classify um, high camp as being located in the queer world because that's that realm is where a lot of camp originates and is embraced. Meanwhile, low camp is it it's a kind of an amalgam of like all the things that are can be perceived as being like in bad taste as well as like the really like high echelon art where like people within marginalized groups can like notice things in it that like the people whose target audience for it wouldn't notice those things. So you're saying that high art reinterpreted by like marginalized groups is low camp yeah because i'm kind of also like viewing it 
is in tandem with the naive camp and deliberate camp. So I I'm see. just kind of like pairing low camp with naive camp and high camp with deliberate camp. I see. <laughs> this is new information to me. So I'm excited. This is like new, new. So I'm excited to be learning from you. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm not entirely sure like how much like new information that is other than like me going, oh, that's an interesting way to categorize and define camp. Yeah. So a lot of the things in the video or it's already touched on, but I did note that it describes camp as people who are heroes but didn't set out to be heroes. Mm. And so what immediately like came to mind for me are like classic Batman, which it's it just has a very different energy from the the Batman that most people are familiar with, which is like not only like really grounded in reality, but also seems really intentional in its groundedness. Meanwhile, you don't really get the energy of like the classic depictions of like superheroes is actively setting out to be heroes. And also I thought of one of my favorite movies, The Suicide Squad, which I do consider camp because it's basically all about people with no intention to be heroes whatsoever, but are like basically forced into being them. Yeah, because I feel like in some ways, if you're trying to be a certain way and then and you achieve it, that just isn't camp. But like, yeah. And like now I'm, I'm also thinking about like, um, heroism in the sense of good representation in media mm. and how like we should like hype this up because it's quote unquote good representation and it, it just it just feels like very we have to prop up this piece of media because it's trying really hard to be good and an example instead of like simply just embracing whatever type of media centering and being created by marginalized people regardless of like how positive you perceive it to be. I feel like a lot of like quote unquote good representation is just submitting itself to the dominant hegemony like being part of the patriarchy or capitalism in a way that it's good representation because it's it's complicit almost it's it's subdued i don't know a lot of like beloved examples of lgbt rep aren't even like they're not even characters who were like necessarily intended to be like a gay icon or they are the character isn't even like they aren't gay but they become a gay icon 
Um, and that in some ways is more beloved than the background best friend who is has a boyfriend or something. I don't know. There's I don't want to br- list boring examples of of LGBT rep. I want to talk about like the messy guys. Just just the f- just fucking around, don't care about being good examples. Cuz why are we, why should we be good examples, you know? This is uh, this is starting to veer off topic, but I mean it, it's still kind of is very much on topic because um, one time um, RuPaul interviewed John Waters, a famous camp director, in like one of his videos. And in one moment, I'm pretty sure it's from like this video, but in one moment, John Waters said, I miss when we could be bad. Yeah. Well, we need a little outlaws back in the gay community, I think, anyway. Yeah. It's yeah. a little. We have to be so good now. I think lesbians have the right to be bad mothers, too. Just like straight people. <laughs> well, it's true. Why do we have to be good all the time now? I'm excited. I'm excited for this podcast. I'm excited yeah. to watch more stuff with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, like, also really excited because it's really fun to talk about movies and TV with you. I love discussing stuff with you, too. <laughs> I will try not to be a pretentious film student and I will try to define my terms when we're talking about something. But, um, hey, if uh, anyone ever has questions for me, my Twitter is at Gaupefta, G-A-U-B-H-E-F-T-A. And um, I'm also on, on Twitter, it's Fabiola underscore Liano We we have an Instagram and Twitter. The Twitter is at Giving Camp Pod and Instagram is at It's Giving Camp Pod. All lowercase one word, um, no apostrophe. This was really fun. This is gonna be a good podcast. This is gonna be a good podcast. Um, thank you for listening and tune in next week for whatever topic we're gonna discuss. We don't know what we're gonna discuss next, but there's a list. <laughs>